Well, Father, we do want to be a thankful people today. We are grateful for the great grace and salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And, and uh, we thank you for the promises of your word, uh, even what we're just now reminded of, that you will take care of us. And Father, we have so much for which to be grateful, and we want that to mark us and to be men and women and boys and girls in a church family. Uh, that is a thankful church, and that, the, that our praise would be genuine and spring from grateful hearts. Father, challenge us today from your word. Um, help us to uh, take your word and apply it to our lives and use it well, and to not waste these opportunities where you speak to us and have a message for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord, uh, with grateful hearts today. Amen. Well, Tuesday evening, with a concern for what had happened last week in the Midwest with that tornadoes in Washington, Illinois, I called my good friend, Tim Challey, who lives nearby in Eureka, Illinois. I've mentioned Tim Challey to you before. He's my friend who worked uh, all his life at Corporate Caterpillar uh, out there in the Midwest. And I called Tim. I hadn't talked to him for a number of months And uh, I I asked him about a church that I know of in Washington, Illinois, a little Bible church there called Grace Bible Church. And I just had them on my mind, and I I knew Tim would know what was happening. And so Tuesday evening, I grabbed my phone, and I I asked him what was going on out there. And he said he had just driven through Washington, a part of it. He said it was unbelievable to be an eyewitness to these tornadoes. He said, as far as he knew, that Grace Bible and their congregation were untouched by it. And I had thought it would be possible that we would need to be a blessing to that church. And so then Tim and I caught up for a minute. As I said, we hadn't talked for a while. He's been through a lot of change. Spent his whole adult life in corporate world at Caterpillar very successfully. And he has looked forward at a relatively young age for retirement, about 58, 59 years old right now, to retire from corporate Caterpillar and to join the staff at his church full-time as an administrative assistant to his pastor. He leads worship. He's just a super capable guy. He said, man, I'm really enjoying it. He said, I've lost 40 41 pounds. He's down to 199 pounds. He said, I'm riding my bike. He said, in fact, a month ago on a Saturday morning, I, I ride my bike back and forth to church. It's about a mile away. He said, I rode over on a Saturday on my bike. I took care of some things, met with some people, set up for Sunday morning, rode my bike back. He said, I got the lawnmower out. And he said, I was mowing the lawn. Nancy, his wife was standing there nearby on the on the porch, and he said he proceeded to face plant right into the sod with complete, utter cardiac arrest. The doctors then told him he lost the next three or four days, totally blanked out of his mind. He has no recollection. He has to depend on what others have told him. He's already back to work. He's had no, uh, no residual negative effects at all. Uh, he has to wear a, uh, one of those shock packs now all the time, but they didn't have to do surgery or anything. Um, the doctors have told him that only three out of 100 people who go through what he went through survive. And then to survive without any negative effect on his thinking and brain uh, power and so forth uh, is just of the Lord and an answer to prayer because he was not breathing for a significant amount of time and so forth before the paramedics got there. And I was just amazed listening to his story. And after we hung up, I was working around the garage and every few minutes I'd stop and check. What was that? (laughs) But I think that's a pretty good question to ask ourselves this morning. Um, What's the condition of your heart? 
What's the condition of your heart? I think it's an appropriate question to ask ourselves as we conclude our sin series or use this message as kind of the official end of our sin series as we've challenged ourselves to to have a greater sensitivity to what God's Word says about sin and how serious it is and what an offense it is to a holy God. And, And certainly the condition of our hearts has a great deal to do with our sensitivity to sin. What are we harboring in our hearts? Do we have little nooks and crannies in our hearts where we've got our little pet sins stored away and we're kind of playing games with God? Are we living with a sensitivity that God has a microscope or a magnifying glass right down into the core of our being and He can see every nuance of our heart? You know we're not talking about like Tim Challey's heart, the muscle that pumps blood. We're talking about, of course, the core of our being, the, the central boiler room of the, of the, the steering house of our lives, where our conscience is formulated and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, where our values are forged, where our worldview is established, and where we are who we really, really are. Not any kind of front, any kind of persona that we put on, but in our heart of hearts, what's going on in there. And I think as we conclude our sin series, we need to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, help me scrutinize my heart that I would know exactly what condition I'm in before you, a holy God. And aren't you glad that you have somebody running interference for you? The Lord Jesus, the righteous advocate, who kept the law for us, who went to the cross for us, who by grace through faith we can accept His free gift of salvation so that when a holy God scrutinizes us, or if, like my friend Tim Challey, we face plant and they don't get us back a pulse and a, and a respiration back up, and we're standing in the presence of the Lord, we do not have to argue in our own defense. We can just bow before Almighty God and Jesus Christ, the righteous one, stands up on our behalf and points to us and points to the Father and says, that's one of mine. And when the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ by no merit of our own, received as a free gift, that salvation that is so great. Praise God that we can know that. And yet we talked about the fight that goes on. We talked about the battle with the flesh. We talked about day-to-day righteous living, dealing with sin, dealing with, um, with the, the weaknesses of our own underbelly, that we have these soft spots in the armor, that we're vulnerable to the enemy, and Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's going on in your heart? It's an important question. I think it's an important question to ask as we begin a brand new series, Lord willing, next Sunday, as we enter the month of December and we have four weeks of, of a salvation series. I thought it would be appropriate to follow up a sin series with a a series just called Salvation. And we will begin, Lord willing, uh, making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And we will proceed then probably for a year or more in the Gospel of Matthew on a fairly regular basis. And in the month of December, we will try to cover much of the first two chapters uh, as we deal with God's salvation and the ultimate victory over sin. I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, what's the condition of our hearts? The week of Thanksgiving. What's going on in your heart? You're going to see this morning that um, God wants His people to be grateful people. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. And the Bible, Bible, I'm not talking in tongues, I'm just trying to get it out here. The Bible talks about many different kinds of hearts. In fact, let me click off ten different kinds of hearts. There are dozens of 
of different kinds of hearts that the Bible talks about. You don't have to write these down, and, and it really will only take me a minute. But just think about this. Romans one twenty one says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's an appropriate verse for this week, and we will revisit this verse towards the end of our message time this morning, Lord willing. But because of the futility of their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. The rejection of God ends up making people think they're wise when they're really fools and they end up with a darkened heart. That's one kind of heart. That's pretty serious. A second kind of heart is a divided heart that the Bible talks about. And just think about this. What kind of heart do I have? What, what is going on deep in my heart? A divided heart. In Psalm 86.11, the psalmist said, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. Oh man, the heart can be pulled lots of different directions, can it? And the heart can be divided in the things that it loves and lusts after. The psalmist prayed for a united heart, for a, for a solidarity in his spirit, a divided heart. How about a stubborn heart? Ezekiel 3.7 talks about that. A stony heart, a hard heart, a stony heart, one that resists God. Ezekiel 11.19. Proverbs talks a lot about a haughty heart or a proud heart. Number five, Proverbs 18.12 talks about it. It's a repeated concept in Proverbs. How about a perverse heart in Proverbs as well? Proverbs 12, verse 8. It's interesting to me. In Proverbs 12.8, it talks about perversity of heart. And in the ESV translation, it, it translates, where in other translations, it translates it perverse heart. ESV translated that phrase, twisted mind. I thought that was, that was interesting. A perverse heart or a twisted mind. That we think we know something, but we really don't. Lots of different kinds of heart. Proud heart, a perverse heart. How about some positive kinds of heart? Number seven, a clean heart. A clean heart. Proverbs 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. A clean heart. Well, that's a good thing. A tender heart. A tender heart. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 5. King David, who is being pursued by the wicked King Saul at this time, trying to keep him away from taking over his rightful place on the throne. David spent many years in the field running from Saul. And remember on one of two occasions where he, he sneaked, sneaked into the camp and he took his knife, he cut part of the robe off of Saul. This was up in a cave there. He, he cut part of his robe and took it and, and Saul knew that David had been there and cut his robe. And it, and it says that that David was cut in his heart and his heart was tender. His conscience convicted him. He had a tender heart. That's a good quality, isn't it, for a godly person? That your conscience works. It's a scary thing when your conscience stops working. Tender heart. A broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51.17 says... The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Finally, number 10, a glad heart. 
Psalm 4, 7, Psalm 33, 21. This is related to a joyful heart. Psalm 28, 7. Psalm 33, 21 says, For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. We have a glad heart. Lots of different hearts talked about in the Bible. Dozens and dozens. That's just a sampling. This morning, I want to talk about a heart that isn't specifically named in the way I'm using it, and that is a grateful heart. You don't find a specific verse necessary that says, have a grateful heart. You don't even see, surprisingly so, under the list of the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, thankfulness. It's, it's, and it is a result. But take your Bibles and let's look at the first part of our message today. And this is number one. There's basically two points to our message today. And the first point is God's people are grateful people. God's people are grateful people. We're going to flip that around, and the second part of our message is going to be ungrateful people are generally godless people. Ungrateful people are, as a rule, godless people. So let's look, first of all, at uh, instruction from God's Word that challenges us as God's people to be grateful people. Then we will look at the profile of an ungrateful heart and recognize that 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 is part of the identity of the godless Split your Bible right down the middle and open it into Psalms and turn to Psalm 105. And let's look at a couple things here. Let's look in the Old Testament, then let's look in the New Testament, okay? And let's recognize that God's people are grateful people. Psalm 105, as we examine our hearts and we think about what kind of a heart we have, look what Psalm 105 verse 1 says. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. That's a a call for a testimony time, isn't it? Make His deeds known among the people. And we are to give thanks. Notice the repeated phrase, Psalm 106, verse 1. Turn the page. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Give praise to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Notice that he does it again. Turn the page. Psalm 107, verse 1. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In the Old Testament, and particularly in the Psalms, we see repeatedly, don't we, that God's people give praises of thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. Now listen. If this didn't come from a grateful heart, we would be dealing with a duplicitous, hypocritical person, wouldn't we? It would be an artificial praise. And so we're recognizing that this call to praise and this mandate for God's people to be people of thanksgiving springs from the overflow of a grateful heart. A heart that is so filled with gratitude that it cannot help but come across our lips. And it's a genuine thing. I have to tell you that I need this message today. I, it's not going to be pastor confessing his sins, don't worry. I know you would enjoy that, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But you know, your pastor's human, and it seems like the last few weeks, the glass has been half empty. You know times like that? And I just, you know, I'm I'm in the house painting at 4 o'clock on the most beautiful afternoon, right during the middle of bow season, and I'm painting, you know. I took a day off to paint, not to hunt. I just, oh, I'm not happy about that. And feeling those pity parties. Do you have them? And woe is me. And nothing, you know, blah, 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 blah. What a baby. 
And I just need a reminder to be that God is so good to us. And that I've got a home to wake up to, and I've got a wife to take care of, and I've got a honeydew list, Gary, that's longer than yours. That's a good reason to keep on living, if there's no other reason to keep living. And there's many good reasons. And we've got a great church family, and we've got ministry to do, and we've got the great gospel to proclaim. And then we're blah, blah, and around. You know what I mean? I, I tell this story almost every year at Thanksgiving time, but... It comes from my boyhood and hearing my dad's voice tell a story about when he was at Moody Bible Institute. And my dad never graduated from high school. He grew up, um, he was born in 1923, grew up through the heart of depression. Several brothers went off to World War II. Um, He did not get uh, selected to go and didn't join, but uh, a number of other brothers got to stay home. But it was rough. They were poor, and he he had to quit school so he could work the farm there and... God called him to preach. He got saved. God called him to preach. So he decided to go to Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. So he applies, and Moody Bible Institute turned him down. They said, don't come. You don't have a high school diploma. You don't qualify to be a student. My dad responded by packing a little suitcase, putting on the only suit he had, and heading to Chicago, showing up and registering to go to class. They said, well, you didn't. You're not supposed to be here. He said, God called me to be here. He said, well, all right. You can stay. You can you can go to the evening school, and we'll see how you do after a couple classes. And my dad was handy from being a farm boy, and he worked in the carpenter shop all day long, and he went to school in the evenings and studied late into the night until they let him take more day classes. And when he was all done with their program, they gave him a certificate saying that he had completed the diploma program, but they wouldn't give him a diploma because he didn't qualify to be there to begin with. So, But that didn't matter. So dad used to tell a story about in the carpenter shop where the doors opened up in the back basement, went out into the back alley where it was row houses and very poor people down in the inner city of Chicago. And Dad would put scraps of wood as they had broken dressers and desks and, and repairs and trim work and things that he was working on throughout the day in the carpenter shop on that big campus with many buildings. And so he would go out in the back and he would stack um, broken boards and wood there. And there was a little old lady who lived in a row house who was very, very poor. And she would work the alleys there picking up sticks. And my dad learned and recognized what she was doing. And so he would, he would provide the wood and break up the sticks, break up the boards for her. And she would pick up a stick and look at my dad and say, ain't God good? Ain't God good? A little bit of sticks for her little wood stove in her kitchen so she could fry her eggs or boil her eggs or whatever, heat up her water for her tea. Ain't God good? See, that's the way God's people are supposed to be. God is so good to us, but we are so inward focused that we don't have our eyes out there seeing all of the goodness. We are to be people who praise God. The psalmist said it so clearly. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. That is to characterize God's people. Ain't God good? And we ought to be that way. You turn on the hot water tap, how come we don't think to ourselves, and maybe you do and you should build it into your system. You turn on the hot water and the hot water really comes, ain't God good? Because you know what a pain it is when there's no hot water. And you flip on a light switch, ain't God good? Look at that, you can just... You don't even know how that happens. You pay the bill, but ain't God good. Because when it's not on, it's a real pain. Ain't God good. Ain't God good. What's wrong with us? That we are so negative in our view and we think we have such shortcomings. Let's get our heads up. 
Let's get our eyes out there. Let's see the good hand of the Lord upon us. That's the Old Testament, and you'll see that as a repeated theme. Let's go to the New Testament quickly, and let's see um, probably the most concise and thorough handling of a call for God's people to be thankful people is in Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. And notice how the Apostle Paul instructs the Colossian believers, and he's very concisely... The first thing I want you to see in verse 15 is that it's, number one, it's our duty to be thankful people. It's our duty. Look, let's pick it up with... um, Uh, Let's just pick it up with verse 15. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now that's a good reminder. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. We are called in one body to peace in Christ. And then look at a three-word sentence. And be, what's the next word? Thankful. And be thankful. There it is. It's a directive. It's in the imperative. It's a command. You're to do it. I take it then that it's a duty. You don't think about the discipline of thankfulness, do you? That I would discipline myself to have a heart of gratitude. I exercise this right in front of everybody in the early service, and I will continue to proclaim it for you so that you are witnesses to me. But I have disciplined myself to enjoy Christmas this year. I'm taking a year off from my Scrooge that I love to play all Christmas season. And in front of everybody in the early service, I set up a shopping day with Janet, and I'm looking forward to it. And I told her to use the credit card, and I told her we'll go to any place she wants to eat lunch, and I'll spend all day shopping with her. I can't wait. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, I love Christmas. Don't you love this time of year? You see, you can make yourself do things you don't like to do. I really hate Christmas. I love Christmas. I love, sh- I, love sh- I love being with Janet when she's shopping. And uh, now I'm goofing around a little bit, um, but there is a discipline here, isn't there? There is a training of the mind. There is a directing of the mind. I do not have to let myself grumble and complain. I can stop it. And in the same way that I discipline myself... To stop eating peanut M&M's and go to the gym and work out, I can discipline myself to shut up. I shouldn't have said all you children, that's uh, um, in the Greek here. And um, (laughs) to be quiet, to be quiet, and to be thankful, and to be thankful. There is a duty, and be thankful. It's in the imperative. Just do it. Stop whining, be quiet, and discipline yourself to groom a heart of gratitude. That's what I see here. And let the peace of Christ rule in you and be thankful. Verse 16, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, what's the next word? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. There is a thankful heart. A heart of gratitude. With thankfulness, I take this to be not only a time when we're humming to ourselves in the car, in the shower, but this is our corporate worship. We're coming together, and it's by design, number two, by design we are to be thankful people. He designed for us to sing together. He designed for us to give testimonies of praise together. That's part of God's design corporately when we come together that the body of Christ would be characterized by praise and thanksgiving. And that comes from a genuine heart that has been developed and groomed. 
The third thing I want you to see in verse 17 is in, and whatever you do, look at this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In three verses in a row, Paul goes bam, bam, bam. Be thankful, thankfulness, giving thanks. You're to have a thankful heart. Listen, number three, it's to be our defining mark. It's to be our defining mark. Look what he says. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the verse I needed. How about you? That I would just learn to appreciate and thank God. Stop being grumpy with those closest to me. Stop being difficult with those that I love the most. Appreciating the people that God has brought around me. Appreciating the value of just a ho-hum, normal day. To be able to carry out my duties. How about you? Number one, it's our duty, verse 15. Number Two, it's by design that we are to be thankful people corporately. Verse 16, it is to be our defining mark. Verse 17, that's the New Testament. The Old Testament, ain't God good. Oh, give praise to the Lord. The New Testament, it's my duty. It's my delight. It's the defining mark of the believer. There it is. God's people are clearly called to be grateful people. What condition is your heart in this morning? Let's flip now and do the second part of our message, which is, number two, ungrateful people are, parentheses, as a rule, close parentheses, godless people. Number one, God's people are grateful people, but number two, ungrateful people are generally godless people. For the remainder of our time, I want to look at a couple different passages, and I want us to profile, I want us to profile the heart of an ungrateful person. What does this person look like? What is it that is about this person? If you are ungrateful, if you are a person that is not thankful, and you do not have a grateful heart, let's see if we can profile you here this morning. And the first one is kind of a little bit of a different. It's something that comes from my own meditation, and it's, and it's not the direct purpose of the passage. But I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. This is that familiar trilogy. There's three parables in a row that are all teaching the same point that Jesus taught. It's the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And Jesus is teaching about how much the Father loves sinners and how the lost son comes home. This is the, what we call the prodigal son. How he uh, despises his father's uh, oversight and he leaves home. And the point of the story is when the father welcomes him back and shows him mercy, love and grace and restores him. The father's the hero of the story. The kid in the story, he's just a punk. All right? But I was thinking about what's going on inside this guy's brain. What's going on inside his heart? What's the condition of this son's heart? And so I use this as an illustration as we profile the heart of an ungrateful person, I want you to see, first of all, number one, their heart is defined by disrespect. 
Look what it says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, um, Luke 15, 12 now, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs eight and no one gave him anything and so finally he figured out that it wasn't so bad back at papa's home anyway we've referenced this passage a couple of different times in the last number of weeks but keep in mind we're profiling the heart of an ungrateful person the first thing i want you to see is that it is defined by disrespect what's going on inside this kid's head You've got to recognize that when he walked up to his father and said, Father, I would like to have my inheritance now, it was, it was incredibly disrespectful. It was saying, I am not happy with you being here as my father, and I wish you would die so that I could split the farm here and get what's due to me. So instead of waiting for you to die, because I think you're never going to die, you old geezer, why don't you just give me my money now and I'll just get out of your hair? And we can tell by the fact that he went off to a faraway city that he could, th- he could run far enough away to find good times, and he spends everything that he, was in- that he had in an inheritance in riotous living because... Why? Because living at home was boring. Young people here need to listen closely. If you're not happy at your house, you don't like making your bed. You don't like it that you've got to do chores. And you don't like the food that your mom puts on your plate. And you think, I can't wait until I get far away from here. You have an ungrateful heart. I mean, this is the image of a kid in the cafeteria dumping his plate because he doesn't like what's on the plate and it's perfectly good food. He's just ungrateful. And he's ungrateful because he disrespects all that went on to make that provision for him. This boy disrespected his father. He disrespected the entire lifetime of work that his father had put in to provide for him. He disrespected everything that his parents had done to create a stable environment for him. He disrespected all that his father did to live an orderly life, to pay the bills, to put food on the table. And he said, why don't you just die? Then I can have your money. Then I can do what I want to do. That is incredibly disrespectful, and it spawns in the heart of an ungrateful person. He's not appreciative. It's like... He thinks, he thinks he has a right to this stuff. He thinks he provided it. And we had a situation in our house this week where um, Jonathan needed to take apple juice to school for a, something they were doing, um, wasting time in class doing something. And um, instead of studying, they were going to eat and do stuff. Your favorite day at school, right? And so, Dad, I have to have apple juice. So, so Dad gets in the car late in the evening and runs to the grocery store like at 9.30 at night to get the apple juice for the next day. I bring the apple juice. I paid for the apple juice. He takes it to school, uses part of the apple juice, brings it home, puts it in the refrigerator. So I started nipping some of it. I like to drink a little apple juice once in a while, you know? And so Jonathan opens the refrigerator door and he said... Dad, have you been drinking my apple juice? (laughs) And he got really upset with me for drinking his apple juice. 
He said, that was my apple juice. That's your apple juice. Where did you get that apple juice? That's an ungrateful kid. And when you're not thankful, then you begin to get disrespectful. You know my point here, right? Young people, what a challenge to appreciate the provision of God through your parents. When you open that refrigerator, that's not your refrigerator. That refrigerator was there before you were. Somebody else bought that refrigerator. Somebody else sits down and writes checks and and goes online or pays the electric bill to keep the refrigerator running. So just wake up and begin to have a grateful heart. And young people, you will find if you're in a season in your life where you're at odds with your parents, that if you will just be quiet and learn to appreciate God's provision through your parents, you will begin to respect them at a whole new level. Because disrespect often spawns itself out of an ungrateful heart. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me just click off a couple more points here of the profile of an ungrateful heart. As we profile an ungrateful heart, we recognize, number one, that it is defined by disrespect. Secondly, I want you to see that it is also defined by selfish interest that's closely related to what I've been talking about. And in 2 Timothy, we, have, we are given in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, the first five verses, a list of what an end times godless person will look like, does look like. Paul said to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people, now notice the the language carefully, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, here it is, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's a pretty horrific list. Highly accurately, with high accuracy, describes our own society today, doesn't it? In so many ways. Clearly, this end times person is everywhere today. But I want you to see that in the middle of the list is this characteristic of being ungrateful. Following disobedient to parents is being ungrateful. Why are they ungrateful? Well, look at the rest of their description. They are, it begins with lovers of self. They're full of self-love. They care about themselves. They don't care about other people. They care about number one. Lovers of self, lovers of money. Why are they lovers of money? Because they want things, because they're lovers of themselves. They love their company. They are proud, and they are arrogant, and they are abusive in any number of ways. They are disobedient to their parents. They are just flat ungrateful. There it is. I want you to see that selfish interest, selfish interest defines a person with an ungrateful heart. When you profile this ungrateful heart, it's a pretty serious matter. They're defined by disrespect. They're defined by self-interest. In this same verse, notice how it ends. Notice how it ends. It says that they are are heartless. Heartless. I was thinking about that. You've seen in the news a lot of coverage on this knockout game these kids are doing. Killing people by punching them. And hurting people. Sneaking up on people and trying to knock them out with one punch. So have your head up when you walk around. It's going to come to the countryside eventually. 
That's treacherous. That is brutal. It's brutal, treacherous, reckless. Look what it says. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, there it is. Not loving good. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self. The third dynamic of this profile is the rejection of all that is good. It's the rejection of all that is good. Notice that. They, uh, look what it says, uh, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Uh, it goes on, where does it? Not loving what is good, right there in the end of verse 3. Brutal, not loving what is good. Listen, when you have a grateful heart, you appreciate things. Somebody provides something for you and you appreciate it. You think, that's good. Thank you so much for that. When you sit down in school or you have opportunities to develop and learn, you say, thank you for this opportunity to learn my multiplication table. Thank you for this instruction. Thank you for this. I'm appreciative of this. When you have a heart of appreciation, you are a lover of things that are good. When you despise things that are good, you mark it down, it will be an ungrateful person. They don't care whether they have an opportunity to learn or develop. They don't care what's been provided. They don't care what it costs someone else. They're willing to bash it and smash it and destroy it and vandalize it. Why? Because they're not a lover of good. They have no appreciation. They are not grateful. Appreciation springs from gratefulness. Gratefulness springs from a thankful heart. And that is someone who is a lover of what is good. And so as we profile this person, one of the things we're watching for in ourselves is the rejection of all that is good. Things that are good do nothing for us. This heart is defined by disrespect. It's defined by selfish interest. It's defined by the rejection of what is good. Very quickly, let's wrap up in Romans chapter 1. I said we would return here, and we do. Romans 1. Let's begin with verse 19. Romans 1, verse 19. The fourth defining mark of an ungrateful heart is that of spiritual decline. People who are ungrateful and live that way are not spiritually growing people. They are in spiritual decline. Notice how Paul defines them here. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Okay, so by looking around our created world, we are to recognize that we have an awesome, mighty, and powerful God. He's a God of order. The the whole solar system, the whole biological and physiological systems that we can observe are to remind us that we have an awesome creator God and that he is a mighty God, that he can keep these things going. And, that, and we're supposed to recognize that. And Paul says it's been made plain to them and that his invisible attributes are come to life. This is general revelation. And so he says at the end of verse 20, so they are without excuse for rejecting God. But notice verse 21, for although they knew God, okay, so at one point they knew God, grandpa put them up on their lap and told them a story about David and Goliath and told them a story about Noah and told them about Adam and Eve and told, talk to them. Somewhere along the line, they had opportunity, they knew God, but somewhere along the line, somebody cut it off. 
So not only through general revelation were they to have an awareness of God and to lift up God in their eyes, but they did know God. Someone told them about God, but then somewhere generationally it got cut off. And so look what happens. For though the, although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor God. So because they stopped honoring God, so they stopped talking about God, or as God, or giving thanks to Him. Giving thanks to Him. They became ungrateful. They became ingrates. They didn't care what God had provided. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God's hand. Your next breath comes from God. I don't honor God. I don't care about God. I don't even believe about God. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So he doesn't honor God and he's ungrateful. Look what it says. And they did not give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what we read earlier. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, verse 22, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. They worshiped themselves instead of God or they made idols for themselves of all kinds of things, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the creation instead of the creator. This is pandemic in our world today. You don't tamper with Mother Earth. You, you redefine and reorder your whole life to try to fix climate change. We love the Earth. We don't worship God. We worship the Earth. And all around the world, people have rejected God. They dishonor God, and they are ungrateful. They think they have provided for themselves. I want you to notice that the first thing they did was they rejected God, verses 18 to 22. Though they knew God, they, they disrespected and rejected God. They rejected God, verses 18 to 22. Second step was they replaced God, verse 23. They replaced God, verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for other images. So ultimately, step three, they were rejected by God, verse 24. They rejected God themselves. They replaced God, so therefore they were rejected by God. Look at verse 24. So God gave them up to their own lust. Listen, one of the greatest forms of condemnation is when God looks at a people group and lets them go. When God restrains evil and God holds back, and the defining quality of this people who rejects God dishonors them is they are ungrateful, and ultimately they worship themselves, they worship their own lusts and passions, and God says, go ahead. Have at it, and, and you, will, you will arrive at your own dishonorable end. Spiritual decline is what it is. We have one more. You can write it down if you're a note taker, and it is harsh words and grumbling. We will not turn there. We will conclude. Harsh words and grumbling is also what defines an ungrateful heart. Exodus chapter 16, God's people Israel wandering around the wilderness. God provides for them, and all they do, all they do is grumble and carry on. There you go. There's five marks in profiling an ungrateful heart. It is defined by disrespect. Luke 15, it is de defined by selfish interest. It is defined by the rejection of all that is good. It is defined by spiritual darkness and decline. And it is defined by harsh words and grumbling. So what's the condition of your heart today? What's going on in your heart? The way you do this kind of a heart test isn't with an EKG or with an echocardiogram or MRI. 
This kind of heart exam is relatively easy to do. It is listen to yourself. Just listen to your words. Because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. You just listen to your words this week. Are you a grateful person? As God has called us to be, God's people are grateful people. Or are you an ungrateful person, which should scare you because ungrateful people, as a rule, are godless people? Let's bow in prayer. Fathers, we head into Thanksgiving week. We have so much for which to be thankful. You have provided for us. You take care of us. You watch over us. You've given us the Lord Jesus Christ, and knowing Him is the greatest thing in our lives. You're a good shepherd. We're the sheep of your pasture. We shall not want. We're blessed and privileged. Would you help us to listen to our words this week, that we would do a proper heart exam, that we would be grateful people, marked by gratitude, that Jesus Christ in us would be seen by a watching world through our gratitude. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Watch over the hunters. Father, as we gather with family and friends and feast, I pray that uh, this would be a great week of rest, refreshment, holiday. For those who've lost dear loved ones in the last few months, comfort them during the holiday season, we pray. Help us to encourage one another with encouraging words. Help us to be characterized by hearts of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.